Do you like the feeling of power you have as a newspaper proprietor of being able to sort of formulate policies for a large number of newspapers in every state of Australia? Well, there's only one honest answer to that, of course, and that's yes. Of course one enjoys the feeling of power. The newspaper can create great controversies, stir up uh, arguments within the community, discussion, it can throw light on injustices, just as it can do the opposite. It can hide things uh, and be a great power for evil. It's not a perfect system, obviously, but can you think of a better one? Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Murdocracy, a podcast that keeps an eye on the news and influence of News Corp, the most influential media company in the Western world. I'm Cam Wilson. And I'm Sammy Shaw. Hey, Sammy, I've got a, a quite a personal question for you. Mm-hmm. Is there any bad news that you need to get out ahead of before someone else breaks the story? You know, is there a video of you and maybe a certain amphetamine that you want to preempt and get to me before, I don't know, someone publishes an article on it? I mean, look, there's my dalliance with black tar heroin um, <laughs> was quite uh, extensive. I took a lot of uh, selfies while of doing black tar heroin while working for ISIS. Mm-hmm, so I don't mm-hmm. know if that could be a problem. But, right. you know, I feel like that's political correctness gone mad. Exactly. Ugh, cancel culture has right? really Run just made it hard for us these days. Uh, well, if a you... man can't do black tar heroin with the Taliban, then what exactly is the point? Exactly. Well, I mean, look, at least it sounds like it's locally sourced. Uh, you know, <laughs> You, you understand the, the full, Ethically, you know, though? farm, I was going to say farm to table, farm to pipe, I guess. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, we'll cover it later on. But mm-hmm. there, there has been a, uh, a story that, that involves uh, a certain uh, Australian executive and also um, some footage of them using a methamphetamine that in, in the, the saga takes an even weirder media turn. And we'll get into that it's in a so second. Strange. It's weird. But Sammy, actually, how are you? I am doing well, other than the black tar heroin that I'm trying to kick. Um, I'm getting by. Yeah, it's 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 a interesting time to be paying attention to Australian politics because clearly, even though an election date hasn't been announced, we're already in cuckoo land. So, um, I'm, oh, I'm, that, I'm already exhausted. I'm so tired already. How is it exhausting? And we haven't even begun yet. <laughs> well, I mean, wasn't there a? I, th- I think it might have been like a a, a book in politics that I haven't read, but I see referred to all the time, which is the idea of the never-ending campaign. Which mm. is that, you know, these days that considering uh, the the news cycle and and internal polling and the machinations. These um, parties are uh, like you know modern political parties and, yeah. and the apparatus just decide well, we're never not going to be focusing on on trying to get reelected because that's you know that is increasingly the only reason we exist, particularly with this government, which you know regardless of whatever your political sway is, you would agree hasn't been the most like ideologically driven you know policy driven government. Mm-hmm. Um, for them, it does seem like the main objective that they have is just to be reelected. To do what? Not not entirely clear, but like, you know, they'll figure that out once they get back in. Well, I mean, that's largely it. It's power for power's sake sometimes. And what, the thing that's exhausting is, you're right, it, it, one of the critiques we've always had of America is, you know, they do a four-year uh, election campaign is basically what every every government is. And in Australia, we've only had three months of election campaigning, which is allowed. And so it's been refreshing. We're seeing less and less of that. Clearly. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, much yeah. I, that now. I think that, that is, is dead. Now, Sammy, mm. later on, we'll be chatting to the Guardian's media correspondent, Amanda Mead. She was the one who broke the story, I think it was last week, about uh, the News Corp uh, Academy that had decided to be BFFs 
uh, with the university um, business school and not their university center. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking to her about, well, one, like tell us about that story. Let's get behind it. But also she worked at News Corp. She's seen it change over the years. Yes. Um, hearing what she has to say about how it's changing and in particular, you know, what we can then ha- now expect in the coming election. Uh, I can't wait for that. But other than that, the only newskeeping we have is, as always, you know, please, if you like what we do, subscribe to our Patreon. It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash murdocracy. All right, let's get into the news. Well, last week we spoke about the Australian's investigation editor, Shari Markson, and her scoop about a comment that Anthony Albanese made 31 years ago. What a, real, a scoop. Yeah, That's I know. Great investigative journalism right there. Piping hot. Well, I mean, like, to get there, I mean, she must have done a bit of investigating. It was three decades ago. That's true. I don't know. If, if, does Google Archive stuff that Oh, was? God, I don't know. You probably have to go to a library and read Oh, my God. Yeah. Did she have to use microfiche, <laughs> you think? I don't know what that is, and I'm just going to keep on moving on. <laughs> You're so damn young. Well, she's come out with another scoop this week. It is that Chinese propaganda outlet endorses Anthony Albanese as better PM than Scott Morrison. Mm -hmm. And in it, she writes, the government-owned media outlet which published this scoop, uh, which commonly espouses the views of the Chinese Communist Party, is promoting an article praising Mr. Albanese as a safe leader, saying he positively shines compared to Morrison. Not until much later does she actually note that the author is not like, you know, someone from the editorial team. It's not a Chinese government employee, but it's actually a former Australian diplomat, Bruce Haig. So that was one thing that came out. Then later on, uh, in on news.com.au, which is Australia's most visited commercial website, News Corp website, Sam Maiden, uh, who we've spoken positively on in the past, wrote a piece that was, a video has emerged of Anthony Albanese speaking Mandarin and urging closer ties between Australia and China just 24 hours after a brutal swedge from the Prime Minister. Yes, this comes after the government's continued campaign. At one point, Scott Morrison said it and withdrew a comment uh, accusing one of the uh, Labour frontbenchers of being a Manchurian candidate. He's called them the party that, uh, it's called Labour, the party that uh, the CCP would like to see come in. In this, like, article Sam Maiden wrote, which which got a lot of attention, said a transcript of an event that happened a, a few years ago uh, of, of Anthony Albanese going to a, a Chinese uh, business event and then, and then speaking briefly in Mandarin. The transcript of the event on his official website has removed the statement he made while speaking in Mandarin. Which is recorded in a video of the organized of that the organization posted on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I looked into it because I was like, they're, they're saying you know that a transcript that had removed, been removed. Right. Yeah, but I looked into like uh, the an archive version of the website, and my as far as I can tell, Albo's website has never had the transcript on there. So the point of the story is that Albo had spoken a sentence in Mandarin and had just said <laughs> we should be closer with China, who, by the way, is our biggest trading partner, and particularly back in 2018 when things were all, well, you know, not quite in the similar like they are now. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was like a pretty common attitude. Sammy, what is going on here? Is this all as blatant as it seems? Are they like, you know, banging the drums of like national security to help out the government? 
I, it's you know what it is. It's that thing which always disappoints me is um, every election I see the way an organization like News Corp will really very blatantly attack one political party and pump up the other political party. And a part of me goes, how can they be this blatant? It's it's ridiculous. Everyone can see through it. But they do it because it obviously works. So there is an element where it's like the blatantness of it is because there's no downside to them in being this blatant. I mean, there's stuff you can find you know, in 2018, which is when they're blaming um, Albanese of giving that speech. If you go to the 2018 version um, of, um, or at least look back in 2018, on the Beige- on the Global Times, which is the Chinese government's, um, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda outlet, the Global Times, there's an article there praising Scott Morrison as the right leader for Australia, saying he has reason and judgment and he's got a deep understanding and unambiguous perception and Confucian wisdom. So if you want to go through the past, then at one point, the Chinese government clearly thought Scott Morrison was the best prime minister for Australia because it benefited them as well. It's a, it's that thing of, um, you know, what it reminds me of, and this is very, um, you know, I'm going to sound like I'm exaggerating, but I feel like there's some truth here. Okay. In the, at the height of the war on terror, when there were moments in which you had anyone who spoke Arabic or anyone who had an affiliation with the, you know, the, uh, the Middle East and those things, like that, all of a sudden that was seen as a negative. All of a sudden that was seen as, look, look at you. You've got you know ISIS affiliations or Taliban affiliations. In America, you saw it with Hillary Clinton's advisor um, suddenly being claimed to be a, a undercover worker for the Egyptian Brotherhood because she had an Egyptian background. So you see that. And this China baiting thing is similar. It's very xenophobic, if you will. Yeah, look, I have actually a lot of respect for Sam Maiden as a journalist. She's done mm-hmm. great stuff. And I, um, I but I, I, I'm, it's almost like my brain's wheels are spinning and trying to like understand why this article was written for any other reason other than the fact that it's just like, I mean, it really does seem like it's just furthering the government's agenda. And I'm not saying that like Sam Maiden or, or anyone from News Corp is, you know, necessarily like has been directed to do this. Right. Yeah. I don't I don't know if this is something like, you know, and, and this is just purely hypothetical, but I should put it out there that like, you know, like when a journalist, a political journalist wants to get access and work with people, often they'll kind of, you know, cover something as a way of cultivating a source maybe that's it maybe that this was just you know maybe this was just a story that someone uh that you know a potentially like a liberal source dropped in, in her inbox and she said mm-hmm. i don't have anything else to talk about today and i think it'll get attention i don't really know but i just i i think you know speculating about that to some extent is a bit of a, a fool's game because like you yeah, know there's uh, no way of confirming th- th- there's no way of knowing but i think the effect is is like this just does seem like xenophobia, because there is no reason why you would write this. This is a very normal thing to do, you know, to 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 say we should be close with China, to speak Mandarin. I mean, look, we mm-hmm. had a prime minister who's been on this podcast who yeah. spoke a lot of Mandarin. Um, and I mean, it, I yeah, I'm, I'm almost is, a, a bit of a loss for words. There's an element of this which is very old school politics, which I'm very disappointed in Labour for falling into that trap again. And it happens every election, which is... Um, federal government or liberal party makes a wild and, and you know batshit crazy accusation and Labour expends all the energy debunking it and refuting it as opposed to talking about policies and talking about their own you know like the story now isn't you know Labour's whatever ideas Labour might have in the upcoming election it's whether or not um, 
we've got a uh, Anthony Albanese who's a Manchurian candidate, quote unquote, because he once said a sentence in Chinese. Like, so yeah, that's I, yeah, where that's the problem lies. Yeah, I mean, I saw people saying, well, now now we're talking about national security stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I, like, I don't think anyone's going to change their votes because Scott Morrison called Richard Miles a Manchurian candidate. But the fact that he did, and got the, the attention there. Do you even know what that movie is? Did you have to, like, like I know what no, it is. I, I, but did you I have, have to look yeah. it up? No, no, no. I knew what it was because it's like I guess a popular saying that's come out of the movie. But like, <laughs> yes. I, I have, I've, I haven't seen the movie. Couldn't tell you who's in it. Have you seen? Okay, so the classic original um, had Frank Sinatra, which is pretty cool. But the remake, um, which was done in two thousand and six or two thousand and seven, I think, has got Denzel Washington. And what's funny in that is they don't oh. have the Manchurian. The Manchurian candidate in that isn't being controlled by China or the Soviet government because now we have good relationships or Hollywood has good relationships with China. It's being controlled by a corporation called the Manchurian Corporation Initiative Ooh. or something, which is a private equity firm investing in nanotechnology. <laughs> it's a complete batshit movie. And do you know why the other reason would that, would that it would be that way? Is because, <laughs> you know, like around that time, Western filmmakers were like, damn, we could really like make a lot more money if we sold our films and oh, like yes. showed our film probably in China. And so they're like, so we'll go from like, I mean, at this point, they're probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they've used uh, people from the Middle East too much. That's kind of getting a bit old, <laughs> a bit dated. And like, well, we can't do China because we want to show the film over mm-hmm, there. So mm-hmm. we'll take it out in big business and they'll be okay because they're, they're, they're counting, uh, you know, they're <laughs> laughing all the way to the bank. It is very bizarre. Uh, there's another element to the story, which I find really fascinating, which is always, you know, whenever uh, a politician accuses someone of something, yep. you can don't have to look very far into the politician's own past to find them doing the exact same thing. So when the Liberal Party accuses mm. the Labour Party of being in bed with China or good for China, etc., um, it didn't take very long for Crikey to find a new story, which is that basically at one point in the past, in the very recent past under the Tony Abbott government, the coalition and News Corp were collaborating with China. Yeah, it is. It, it's they they say like it's it's projection, right? Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of people when you you're calling out something, you look back and they've done it um themselves. Yeah, look, I I I, I find it very hard to understand why this was done. And like, here's the thing. Just just my final point on like in particular the Sam Maiden article. I mean, clearly the like um you know there's there's some kind of implication uh that that the fact that. Albo was speaking Mandarin. There's something we don't understand, and he hasn't translated it. So it's some kind of mystery. Well, if this is such a mystery, if, if we're if you know if there is some idea that he's he's being underhanded, mm-hmm. or you know maybe he's speaking because uh, he's speaking in Mandarin, he's saying something different to what he's saying in English, so we should understand. Why didn't Why didn't they translate it? Like yeah, short, Google short, Translate short, exists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or just like I'm sure that I'm sure there's a bunch of um you know people at news.com.au who can speak Mandarin. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And so that's why I'm just like, is this really what we're going to go into? If we're going to go into, you know, uh, this this long election uh, campaign, and um, we're not officially mm-hmm. in it, but it, it's happening now and it's going until May, where we're going to make it about just like scaring people about the influence of China and, you know, the unfortunate and, and like awful consequences that there will be for people who who you know take that kind of messaging in take that fear and then potentially you know put australian you know asian australians at 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 risk because of it because like that that's what we see happen when these things happen like the kind of racism that comes out of it out of the whole cultural Mm -hmm. like sense of fear actually does end up hurting people and that's what you know one of the things that asian australians have copped a lot in the last few years because the covid stuff and the china relationship with covid and everything and they've just kind of 
hopefully been coming out of that abuse that's been directed at them and now this i, I can't imagine how frustrating that must be yes well let's hope there's not too much of it but i think we might be um disappointed now just just then uh we mm-hmm. spoke about uh, uh sherry markson who has <laughs> uh, come up a little bit hasn't she um well i have something else that she was actually yeah. uh involved in this week week which i found very interesting so this week she had another story a, a bombshell that the former founder of grilled had resigned from a new ASX listed company after a video of him smoking meth, among other things, uh, had emerged. I mean, it's a pretty big scoop, right? But Markson was actually been to the punch in a piece from Nine Papers' Chip Legrand, who claims that uh, the, the, the former Grilled CEO was actually the subject of like a years-long extortion racket. Legrand wrote, on Tuesday morning when he was contacted by Sherry Markson, he being the former CEO, a journalist with the Australian mm-hmm. newspaper um, uh, 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 had given him a deadline to comment on one of the videos. The grill CEO knew that extortionists had made good on their threats. This was kind of, uh, you know, essentially, you know, they were making the case that, that that Sherry had somehow sourced this video, this awful, awful video from extortionists and people trying to make money out of it. In a follow-up piece, Markson kind of fired mm-hmm. back and wrote that Bainbridge, the grill CEO, uh, seems to be implying that the Australian has played some role in the extortion attempt. This is beyond belief. We were investigating the story over five weeks and intended to publish whether or not he paid money to his so-called extortionist. Now, I think it's very hard for us to know what the truth here um, is, um, but I'm really curious, yeah. Sammy, kind of more broadly, how often do you personally think about where a story comes from, you know, where the information is sourced from. And in a way, like, you know, obviously this has impacts on people's lives, but as a consumer reading the news, does it actually matter how a journalist obtained the facts? I think as a consumer reading the news, it doesn't because you assume a certain level of responsibility in the journalistic process before it gets to you. And I think that's where this story is problematic because when you have a source even if it is a unnamed source, you need to verify information certain in a certain way and everything. And if there is an aspect of the story that is linked to extortion, which again, we cannot confirm, it is, you know, Bainbridge's word against uh, um, Markson's word. Um, but there is a, if there is an extortion element to the story, which, you know, Chip Legrand has written about, then why, are, why is News Corp publishing a story that feeds into the extortion thing i don't think and i've read bainbridge's criticism or, or at least his statement about this he doesn't seem to be saying at all that news corp is part of the extortion he's saying why is news corp playing into the extortionists hands by using you know blackmail material in this way and making it public so you know because he doesn't pay up and that's where the story is so I think Markson's being a bit defensive on something where I would argue that uh, duty of care has not been done in a responsible way. And there's a legal aspect to this, which I think is very problematic as well. Um, is there news value to the former CEO of Grill, or former founder of Grill, not CEO, sorry, and you know, member of a new ASX DC company being caught smoking crack and uh, on pictures? I saw the story I would care about, but I'm not sure others wouldn't. Yeah, see, I see. I find this weird, and and I don't know if this is you know having been a journalist now like mm-hmm. five years has eroded my brain and and gotten rid of like you know me being just a human empathetic person at least in regards of like whether information should come out. But like you know, I saw a story like this, and I'm like, well, like 
I don't know if I personally publish it, but the idea that someone that a, that someone would get it and not publish like something like this, I don't just it, it seems like it. I guess it just seemed newsworthy. Like we see this kind of stuff, you know, relatively regularly, particularly in like tabloid stuff overseas. The mm-hmm. kind of broader question, though, about like where information comes from and how that affects, you know, whether someone should publish, I think is very interesting. And I'll point you back to something like in the 2016 US election, there were all these things that came out that were awful about Hillary Clinton. And that's because her email was hacked. Yes. Uh, we, we, you know, like the, and, and released by, you know, WikiLeaks and that's a whole story in itself. And there was this big kind of like media debrief afterwards. And I think this largely happened because, you know, people didn't expect Donald Trump to win. And then when he just did, they were like, well, did we do something wrong? And part of the thing was that people were saying, well, you've got this kind of asymmetry where you've got like, you know, one person's emails, like one of these political uh, candidates, their emails have been hacked. And so that means we had all of this kind of dirt coming out, you know, just like things that were just even not even like necessarily like scandals, but just like, you know, picking apart emails, anything that, you know, an internal organization sent to each other. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But like, I mean, to some extent, like, unfortunately, that is kind of the way that the world works. Like, you know, if I'm a journalist, like, you know, I, I had a story um, that was about um, uh, that a a a um, organization had pitched to labor to uh, pay for um, people to do negative TikToks about Scott Morrison, and uh, they had offered people, including accidentally myself, uh, the money to to do so. Yes, and that came out, and you know that was something that you know it, it, I think like probably. I mean, it, it did, I think, unfortunately, have a negative effect on, you know, labor because it's kind of, you know, people like, oh, are they doing this? Even though they hadn't necessarily agreed to do anything as far as my reporting showed. But so I got that, you know, that was a little scoop that, you know, maybe was not super great for labor. That doesn't mean that, like, I then have to spend all my time making sure there's the equally negative one for the right, Liberal exactly. Party or something. And, and, no. and, and although I may end up, you know, for one way or another, I may end up, you know, just focusing on one side purely out of luck, purely because I get, like, you know, more dirt on one side. I don't know. Like, you know, balance I don't think comes necessarily from, uh, you know, having to make sure you do, like, one good thing and one bad thing and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It comes in each individual piece. I was saying, I bring it, like, all back to this. Like, I think uh, maybe more than other people, I'm more, like, agnostic about where information comes from. I should think about how a source is trying to use me but like that's purely to be like well am i getting played here somehow does that affect the information but if i just have this information you know a scoop no matter where it comes from you know like very often we know like whistleblowers for some reason are aggrieved that doesn't actually affect the the information they've given you and Mm. and i i I think that like i think a lot of people actually kind of came out being like well like assuming that that shari had been you know working directly with the extortionists or whatever we don't really know but i do think if you know if you decide it's newsworthy even if it's bad for the people even if there are extortionists somehow involved in this i kind of think that it was like you know it was the right thing to put it out there Am, am i wrong well, okay, so I was thinking a lot about Duncan Storer recently. Um, do you remember Duncan Storer? No, I don't. So a few years ago, um, there was a man on Q&A, and he asked a question on an episode of Q&A 
um, which uh, basically was, uh, let me just find the exact uh, question that he'd asked. He basically is a private individual who happened to be on an episode of Q&A, asked a question of um, uh, some of the politicians. And it, that question then got him, you know, go, drew the ire of uh, the Herald Sun. And the Herald Sun then went up and did like a two-day expose into this man's life and how he was a bad person in the past and how he'd, you know, done drugs and things like that and and really kind of destroyed this person's life through the expose they done. It was a very similar thing to what had happened to Trolley Man, which was a man who tried to stop a terrorist attack in in, uh, in the Melbourne CBD by ramming his trolley into the attacker, um, was heralded as a hero for it. And then, you know, a lot of newspapers looked into his past, found out he had, he had a terrible past because he was a bad person in the past in terms of breaking and entering and things and destroyed his life as a result. And I've always had a question about the ethics of investigative journalism and expose around private individuals and versus public ones. I'm not saying that Bainbridge, who is the former founder of Grilled, etc., is a fully recognizable private individual, given his wealth and status, he might be. Um, but um, he, yes, you know, at the same time, I feel like, is there an ethical value, a news value to a man smokes crack? Yeah, and 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 we should say that in the initial piece which Sherry Markson wrote, she had a comment from someone who was saying that you know if someone's doing drugs like this, it can be erratic and affect their behaviour. So she she had clearly at least made some effort to say, well, here's the news value beyond just like see this and judge for yourself. It was we think this could affect his ASX listed company, which I yes. think is interesting. Yeah, look, it, it is always difficult to decide whether to publish something or not, but in in this regard, I, I do think it is interesting at least you know to try and consider where things come from that might affect yes. how you interpret a story but ultimately you have to judge it based on well is this story actually important uh right. or not? yeah and then Fair enough. We, yeah i mean otherwise yeah. you've got a situation where they don't publish um the um uh, what's it called the uh, the watergate story because they they don't like who deep throat is as opposed, <laughs> you know and then we miss out on a great story anyway yeah exactly a great story got a good film out of it too i mm-hmm. uh, loved it mm-hmm. <laughs> so News Corp and uh, its uh, fellow media organization, ABC, serve a very important role in keeping the regions informed. But one regional news org says they're also making it harder to do their job. As part of a parliamentary inquiry into Australia's regional newspapers, uh, McPherson Media Group Executive Chairman Ross McPherson, who oversees mastheads like the Shepparton News and the Yarrawonga Chronicle, independent publications like that said that one of the major problems they have is these big news orgs poaching their talent the abc's announcement in early december of 50 new places for regional journalists filled filled us with some alarm he said because like news corp the abc doesn't train its own regional journalists it poaches them I find this very interesting. I never thought about this, Sammy. What's your kind of take on this? Well, I mean, they're not wrong. I mean, whenever you think about the regional journalism and how we talk about it in Australia, one of the big things that's always comes up from ABC staff, from people who like ABC content, is it's a shame that the regional newspapers are being cut down, that there's less of them, because so many of those people end up becoming great ABC journalists. And it's true. Many of, Some of the best ABC regional journalism comes from people who cut their teeth on local small newspapers. And I never once considered the loss to those local small newspapers. It's a very interesting thing. If you head down to Shepparton, for example, you know, there's offices in Shepparton. ABC has an office in Shepparton and Channel 9, Channel 10, everyone has their offices in Shepparton. And if you're writing for the local Shepparton news, 
I don't doubt that you would definitely want to, you know, jump up to the big leagues when that opportunity comes. But that's also part and parcel of the world we live in. You know, every everyone starts local and then aspires to national in, in many industries. Yeah. See, I never thought about the fact that these small newspapers suffer a loss as well. But that is also part of the problem of the world we live in, is that, you know, regional things always end up being subsumed by national things. And um, I say it's a tragedy, but it is the way of the world. Yeah, I mean, I've worked in a regional ABC office. I saw us take people from, um, you know, small regional papers. And by take, I should also say, like, this was employees who chose to move um, because ABC jobs in regional places were still sought after. And Mm -hmm. and, and even for people who didn't want to eventually move to the city, as, as many did, you know, people would say, because I was in Geraldton and there was an ABC there. So for someone who had gone to the regions to get any journalism job, it was also one of their ways of getting back to the city because they would be like, well, if I go to ABC Geraldton and then I can hopefully transfer to ABC Perth. It actually ends up being quite difficult, but that's, yes. that's the kind of plan. Um, and, and I mean, look, look like I'll, I'll, to put it really bluntly, like a lot of regional independent newspapers pay their staff quite poorly and you yes. know, often you know if you read for instance news because court, their budgets are small and that's exactly, what it is exactly exactly, exactly. and that's because people don't you know i mean in part that is because they are competing with someone like the abc mm-hmm. but also because you know people aren't advertising as much with them anymore yes. uh, and you know you often hear you know in places like news corp that abc journalists are very well paid but uh, like the truth is that um an ABC journalist would be better paid than most independent journalists in somewhere like, you know, in, in the regions. But then if you go to the cities, uh, a lot of ABC journalists, particularly as you go uh, beyond like the very entry level would be uh, much more poorly paid than oh, absolutely. Their, their commercial yeah, yeah. counterpart. So that's kind of where it all fits in there. For, for, people, in the, for people who want to join the ABC, it's, it's often better work conditions, your, your message, you know, your content goes further, you get seen by more people. And, and a pittance, basically, yes. <laughs> yeah, so look, I understand it. I don't really think you can do kind of anything about that. But no. like, I mean, I guess that's just kind of the way it is. Unless um, you get rid of the entire uh, capitalistic enterprise that is modern world, yes. Yeah, and I think that might be just a little bit beyond the parliamentary inquiry into Australia's regional newspapers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And finally, Sammy, I've got a TV show that I reckon you might be interested in. It's mm-hmm. a new documentary series by the CNN called The Murdoch's Empire of Influence. Uh, and it'll be out during autumn Australian time and is set to be a behind-the-scenes look at the rise of the media tycoon, his influence all over the globe, and the intense succession battle. I can hear you like we are yes. between his children over who would inherit control of his uh, media empire, according to a statement released by the network. Sammy, is this a must-watch for you, or uh, have you got already enough of this hosting a Murdoch podcast and, and living in Australia? <laughs> well, obviously, it's a topic I'm interested in. That's why I'm doing this podcast. And um, <laughs> I just want to tell anyone who um, does want to know about the rise of the media tycoon, we did two episodes um, mm. about the, the the origins of News Corp that I still, you know, worth listening to. I, I worked really hard on them. I'm quite proud of them. But uh, overall, hell's yeah. The only thing, I, it's a CNN documentary, and sometimes this American, particularly the CNN documentaries, really great. They're really, the production style is overblown and overdramatic, and there's a lot of 
grungy fonts being used and 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 it annoys me so i'll give it a try i don't have high expectations i'm definitely i'm definitely and i do love to say i can't i can't all right enough of it and hey you know look you know uh, since we were probably one of the inspirations for it i'm sure the the Mm -hmm. show's producers Mm -hmm. have have stumbled across this podcast we'll probably get like a a check in the mail i assume yeah yeah absolutely i'm already buying a new house purely based (laughs) on the anticipated money that'll come my way (laughs) don't hold out on us (laughs) (laughs) so recently news corp announced that they were doing a partnership with Google to launch their own News Corp Digital News Academy uh, with the University of Melbourne. Uh, I mean, already people kind of had some thoughts about that, but then it soon came out that there was actually a backlash against it from the university because it had not been launched with their Center of Advancing Journalism, but in fact, in their business school. Uh, Amanda Mead is the Guardian's media correspondent. She's worked all across the industry at Fairfax, while it was still Fairfax, and of course, at News at The Australian. She was the one who broke the story and joins us now. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Cam. (laughs) Good to have you here. Now, maybe straight off the bat, Amanda, if put yourself in the shoes of maybe just a fresh school graduate, knowing what you know about this News Academy and you wanted to become a journalist, is this somewhere that you would sign up for? Well... Funny you should say that because when I spoke to Campbell Reid about it and he he's going to be the first head, um, his first line to me was, well, Amanda, if you still worked for us, you could do this course. And I was like, uh, okay, because <laughs> Campbell, I know him pretty well. He was actually my editor at The Australian. Um, and, uh, look, he, he made it sound like a very um, – hands-on kind of technical TAFE-type course rather than journalism education. Um, And I guess it did sound useful, but, um, yeah, look, I still have my reservations. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it if I was there. I think it would be interesting, but... um, So there's one thing that comes up in the article, Amanda, which is that... um, uh, I can't remember who it was, but someone from the university alludes to a long-standing animosity by News Corp towards academia. Do you think that's right? And do you think that's kind of what is partially shaping the form that this academy has taken? Mm. Yeah, that was that was Andrew Dodd, who's who's the head of the centre. And actually, Andrew and I worked together at the Australian on the media section. So ah. it's um, yeah. It's all one big family. Um, But he was quite strong in his comments and he said that News Corp has deliberately avoided working within the journalism school because of their long-held animosity uh, towards journalism courses. I'd have to agree that they have, and, I mean, I, I witnessed this firsthand, the way they targeted various academics, Um you know, they they papped Margaret Simons, for example, I remember, and put a photo of her on the front page. Um, mm. They uh, did several stories about Julie Pacetti, another academic. Um, they, they've done quite a few hit jobs, classic Oz hit jobs on academics, um, and there is, a, you know, a, a myth inside News Corp that the university journalism courses are just a hotbed of lefties hating journalism, hating News Corp. 
It's not really like that. It, what's kind of interesting is that there has been a there's been a long-standing relationship between News Corp. Uh, and Google and, and the tech giants generally, but it hasn't always been a positive one. If if anything, I remember uh, for a long time, it was outright, you know, you will pay us and you're stealing from us. And now, particularly over the last three or four years, we've really seen that change as money has changed hands, mostly going from the tech giants to News Corp. What do you think that this now, this very cozy relationship where you've got them actually both working together to set up um, as they say, this you know, next generation of, of journalists who are commercially focused, you know, putting out something that's commercially viable. What do you think that says about you know their relationship and and the way that kind of journalism is? Yeah, headed? I mean, look, there are so many layers to this story, um, and and the 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 turnaround of of News Corp seeing Google not as someone who's you know cutting their grass, undermining their business model, you know, evil tech giants that that you know need to need to pay us for everything they're stealing to actually allowing them to fund and shape you know their their course um it it's extraordinary and and they they they're working really close with them now because they're giving them millions and millions of dollars and it um it suits them to to be friends um, but, I mean, you've got to worry about how much input Google is going to have into shaping this curriculum if they're paying for it. Um, and is it really journalism when you're teaching journalists how to write stories that are going, that are going to come up well in um, a Google search? You know, is, is that really journalism? Yeah, it is interesting. And, you know, I just think about all the time about how uh, – Certain aspects of the internet have just drastically changed uh, what journalism is. I mean, you know, the one thing yeah. you kind of mentioned then is, is, you know, search engine optimization, which is now, you know, key for any kind of uh, 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 like media outlets. But people who are listening may not actually realize like to the, the extent to which it actually changes the form. So like an example is like you almost see now every online digital headline that's about a, a person or, or a thing or a noun or essentially what someone would search to find out about it that will yeah. always be the first word in a headline like you know i know that's yeah. a, a small thing but that means you often see like you know it would be like if it was about me like and my obituary be like cam wilson you know comma uh, journalist comma you know dies at 31 like it's just yeah. it's just a little thing, but it permeates throughout the whole, uh, you know, it, the whole craft of journalism. And I guess maybe bring it back into to take this away from me, just pontificating about it. But like, I mean, this is kind of where we're seeing this clash, and this is broader than digital media, but obviously is a huge part of it. But the clash between the idea of journalism as an academic study and journalism yeah. as as a trade, as you know, something that people yeah. are doing. Well, I mean, often you'll see people being like, oh, I don't even need to go to university. I just learn everything I know on the job. I think, you know, Sammy and I spoke about last week about how universities are changing and adapting to that. Where, have you got any strong thoughts on this kind of how we're seeing the, 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 the I guess, the, like the um, interaction between these two schools of thought and how that's affecting like yeah. Australian media? Yeah, well, in terms of journalism courses, I mean, I did my journalism study as a postgraduate um, at UTS, you know, more than 30 years ago, um, and it was, even back then, very practical. 
it taught me how to write news stories, helped me get them published, and then got me a cadetship at the Herald. So it was even even back then. I don't even think they've changed that much. They were very focused at UTS anyway in, in getting um, students into jobs. Um, but I don't think you need a journalism degree or any degree really to be a journalist. People have come into it from, you know, many different backgrounds and to a, to a certain extent it is, it is a craft, you know, rather than something that has to be studied academically. But I certainly think it helps to have either done a different job before or to have been to university just so you can as I think Andrew Dodd talked about, put things into context when you're doing journalism, you know, put them in a, in a, in a social and political context. Yeah, exactly. And, and since you mentioned, you know, your initial training, can you tell us a bit about like, you know, how you've been through the industry and including your time mm. working uh, at News? Mm. Look, I had an incredible 18 years at The Australian. I started there in... Um, 1994 and then I left in 2012 that does that sound right yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, the numbers um and you know mostly was was very happy and worked with really great people and you know did serious journalism um and Obviously, look, things have changed. I've been, it's, it's almost 10 years now since I left and I think things have gone downhill in terms of the Australian being independent, um, you know, practising really independent journalism. Um, obviously, a lot of their stories now are, you know, they're, they're hit jobs, they're biased, they're, you know, pursuing a, a certain agenda. Um it wasn't always like that. I mean, they used to have like a proper, proper media section, a lift-out media section, which had 10 dedicated journalists um, mm. and two editors um, just producing, you know, really good features about media. Um, but I noticed it started to change in about 2007 um, and in the last few years I was there, um they just became a lot more focused on sort of attacking um, the opposition, um, opposition media companies, um, and I just found it more and more difficult to sort of dodge, you know, dodge the bullets, um, mm. you know, to be. I never had to actually write something that I wasn't comfortable with, but that's because I was quite senior and I you know I'd been there a long time and I sort of knew how to get out of it but you know they they definitely um asked people to write things according to you know what Chris Mitchell thought you know um what do you think what yeah. do you think what do you think there was that that change in the naughty I think Chris Mitchell had a had a pretty um, big impact on the paper. I mean, he'd been there a long time, but he was editor in chief, and then he it took a few years for him to kind of start putting all his um, people into place, and you know, to start running his agenda. Before that, it was a lot, 
kind of um, less sort of <laughs> focused on, on a Murdoch agenda. Uh, I don't know what it is. These things are very hard to pin down. But, um, for example, they put in an editor of the media section that, um, you know, was more focused on doing what the bosses wanted than actually listening to what the journalists wanted to write about. Um, and uh, probably the pressure on on the paper losing money, um, you know, making people redundant. You know, when I when I left, there'd already been waves and waves of redundancies. The newsroom was getting smaller and smaller. You know, they just introduced a paywall. Um, there's so many pressures on the odds. You know, would it would it survive? Um, yeah. And so it came out, uh, you know, smaller and meaner. Um, I have a question. Yes. You mentioned uh, this idea of the Murdoch agenda. You know, one of the things yeah. that you hear often is that Rupert Murdoch himself is not personally involved in editorial. He's not, you know, un- like, you know, underlining things in the day's paper in the Oz and sending it back. But how does he, and, and how, I guess, maybe not he, but how does this then yeah. Murdoch agenda uh it just exist in News Corp. How are uh, people who are writing in the articles? How do editors who are who are commissioning stuff? How do they kind of get that sense to then, I guess, carry out what the agenda is? Yeah. Well, the culture within the newsroom, um, you know, comes from above, I guess, and they appoint editors and section editors who they know will, you know, play the game and do do what's right. They never admit anything, of course, but they just, um, you know, they just know what to do. And then the journalists underneath them also know, you know, what to do and what not to say and um, how to, you know, deliver what what is required. I guess it's self-censorship, isn't it? Yeah, and, and self-selection as well, right? Like, you know, I yeah. mean, I've seen a lot of great people. Well, I've seen a lot of great journalists who I think are doing good work be at News Corp, and then I've also seen a lot of them then decide to leave. Uh, and, 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 and these wouldn't be people I know personally, so I can't speak necessarily to exactly why they left. But it, it, it does kind of seem like... You know, if there if there are people who I don't see necessarily who are working there, but don't I don't think love playing the game. They often are mm. looking for a place to go somewhere else and just do it without yes. having to worry about that, right? Yes, yes. Look, there are people who completely believe in everything that News Corp stands for. Love working there. They've drunk the Kool Aid. Um, and they're very comfortable within there. And then there's a whole lot of other people who just want a job, you know, and they're, they're happy to have a job and, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're happy in that job because the Australian was, you know, a quality paper with good resources and, you know, look, nice people really. Um, but there comes a time like I, I get quite judgy now of people that join now you know, like, I don't blame you if you're there, like, but if you join now knowing what it's like, you know, like, that's that's a hard one. Except I do agree, I know you guys talked about um, cadets joining um, 
News Corp. Absolutely. I think it's fantastic. If you get a cadetship at News Corp, you should take it. We actually just hired the Australian's cadet for The Guardian. Yeah, I, I, I did see that, actually. Yeah. yeah, and we actually love hiring people from News Corp because um, they've, they've generally had a really good training and they've been everywhere and they've been in a tough environment um, and they're used to having to deliver, um, you know, and they've been to courts and they've been to police and all of that. Whereas, you know, if you were to start at The Guardian, you wouldn't get that kind of breadth of, of experience in Australia because we just don't have, you know, the infrastructure. Totally. Um, yeah. But what I've noticed actually, Cam, is that, there are journalists who leave News Corp and then suddenly turn into these full-on lefties on Twitter. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I didn't know you were like that before. You know, and, they, and they're attacking the government and they're just calling things out all the time. I think, wow, that's really interesting because when you're there, obviously you can't, can't say anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, I don't want you to dob in anyone who you might work with as, as sources, yeah. but like, I guess when you are working with people from News Corp yeah. and the way you get information, are these often people who are, are people who are not true believers? And so they're kind of, you know, yeah. almost like being a source is their way of, uh, I guess, having some kind of external accountability or, or, oh, yeah. or is yeah. that one of the main motivations? Absolutely. And look, to be honest, most of my mates have left, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the, the sources are thin on the ground now because everybody just keeps leaving, right? Um, so it, it gets harder and harder. But, yeah, there are, there, although, you know, it's really, there's a really different culture between, say, the ABC and the Herald and the Australian. Like the Guardian editors always ask me, well, what are they saying on the floor? you know, at the Australian, surely in the newsroom they're complaining about this latest outrage. And I'm like, no, they don't. Nobody sort of, you know, gets together and um, complains and says we're going to go to the editor and say we hate this story. You know, there just isn't a culture of that. Mm. Whereas, you know, at um, the old Fairfax or the ABC, the staff are kind of bolshy, you know, and they're, they're – they're complaining loudly about the journalism. <laughs> As a maybe well, I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't happen. It's, it, you know, people don't really speak out against it. I, I can't remember, you know, ever standing around, you know, chewing the fat about the Murdoch agenda or anything, and then you, you just don't. Nobody talks about it. Yeah. We've spoken on the podcast recently about how we're already seeing um, a kind of a, a, a how, how like the Australian and other parts of News Corp are already kind of putting out some stuff in the lead up to the election stuff that was quite critical. Oh. I think of Anthony Albanese that, that I think that, you know, observers thought were not necessarily like, like not stuff they would necessarily put in the front page themselves or even deserving yeah. as news of, of, of much coverage. So that was like, you know, the stuff about China, the years old story yeah. about wealth that was like, you know, from three decades ago. What, yeah, what do you expect to see from them this election? Well, I think what we've seen in the last week or so, you know, from Shari Markson with her 30-year-old exclusive um, and, and also that dodgy story about um, Anthony Albanese, you know, speaking Chinese three years ago, um, 
it doesn't bode well, you know. Are they going to, um, you know, hook up with the coalition's dirt units and just pump out these stories that aren't even stories? Um, yeah, it's it, it's quite worrying. I think it is going to be a dirty campaign if, if, if it's ever not dirty. I'm not sure. <laughs> Can I try to drill down yeah. on that because I'm, I'm curious because I also thought about a, a couple of weeks ago before and, and the mm. things that we mentioned were I think two things from Sherry Markson and also something mm. from, from Sam Maiden who were, you know, big figures mm. in themselves. But we'd also seen, I, I thought, a few things that were unusually critical of Scott Morrison as well. Um, yeah. You know, there was Andrew Bolt. There's a few things that kind of, uh, you know, escape me right now, but also stuff that it felt like they were also then, you know, laying the groundwork to not necessarily just be full on boosters of SCOMO. So we're seeing, we're seeing yeah. both of that. What do you think that tells us about yeah. like how the way that like, you know, the company uses its editorial uh, strengths? Is it like, do you think that kind of illustrates the fact that there is not just this one single top-down message? Yeah, yeah, it does. And and they will point to that when they're saying we are diverse, you know. They'll say, Oh, we you know, we publish um God, I don't know, who who who's not right wing? <laughs> Susie O'Brien or whatever in, in Queensland and um, you know, Andrew Bolt. And and Andrew Bolt often takes a, a counter view, if you think about mm. it, during the um uh environmental campaign, you know, where, where suddenly they were greenies and they were aiming for net zero, um, which was across the company, Bolt complained about it openly. Um, so there are some figures that are sort of above everyone, um, like Andrew Bolt. He can pretty much say whatever he wants. Um, having said that, I think Alan Jones went too far and, and ended up losing his job at Foxtel because they couldn't sort of control him. Um, he went too crazy on the coronavirus mm. stuff. Um, but, yeah, there isn't, you know, one view for sure. Um, you know, these things are a lot more nuanced, a lot a lot subtler than that. I don't think anyone has said, okay, we need to, you know, save the coalition, um, so we need to every story should be like that. I mean, I think if journalists, good journalists, you know, Samantha Maiden is a, is a very good journalist and she comes up with a story that's negative for the coalition, um, then they're not going to spike it. They're going to run it. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, finally, Amanda, I don't want to keep you any longer, but we did talk about this at the start uh, with the Academy. If you were... Uh, you know, someone who is working for News Corp today, would you take this course and would you take it because, you know, you would think that you'd be learning a lot or because you think that it's probably also the thing to do to kind of play the game of the company? Um, look, I would probably do it. Um, why not? Yeah, Learn why some not? new skills. I mean, Headley Thomas could help me um, work out a podcast, <laughs> could, you know, win me World Walkley. Yep. I'd be quite happy with that. I could... Um, I could talk to Shari about how to go undercover at the <laughs> university. <laughs> I was wondering if she's going to get a, a um, dose of her own treatment and someone's going to do that to, to her course. Yes, to her course. I know. Oh, it's uh, Yeah, look, I, I would probably do it. But, I mean, it's, it's just fascinating. There's so many elements to, the, to this. Um, there's going to be 750 
reporters they're going to put through this course. I mean, that's a lot. Mm. Um, maybe they're going to take over the world. <laughs> well, <laughs> look, you know, considering everything they own in Australia, they've, they've already got a lot going yeah. on here. Uh, Amanda Mead, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Cam. So that was our conversation with Amanda Mead. Um, I completely disappeared through that camera and left you entirely alone. I'm sorry. My internet connection dropped out and then my mic stopped working. It was a cavalcade of, of, of uh, errors. And so thank you so much for carrying that. <laughs> no worries. We were actually communicating uh, over a Google Doc. So yes. you were really there, not only in spirit, in spirit. but kind of through cyberspace <laughs> as well. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, as always, if you haven't already subscribed, if you've just ended up here by accident somehow, you can find us everywhere apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify next to joe rogan i'm sure <laughs> or just uh, just about um on, on most podcast uh, platforms and of course please join our podcast group on facebook uh, at Medocracy podcast uh, thanks to kevin mcleod for the theme music the abc for the recordings from the archive ruby Innes for our artwork and as always thanks to you sammy and thank you very much Cam. bye, bye.